Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 21st. In today's news, Mike Pence agreed to a secret meeting with the North Koreans, but they canceled at the last minute. Bob Mueller gets another guilty plea in the Russia investigation, and Syrian airstrikes kill more than 200 civilians. But first, the big idea. The jury is still out on President Trump's seriousness about banning bump stocks and improving background checks. President Trump on Tuesday signaled an openness to modest gun control measures following what he called an evil massacre at a Florida high school last week that left 17 dead. Trump directed the Justice Department to draft a regulation banning devices known as bump stocks. He also tweeted last night that Democrats and Republicans must now focus on strengthening background checks. And his spokeswoman said he's open to raising the age at which someone can buy an assault-style rifle from 18 to 21. As the president put it during an event at the White House on Tuesday afternoon. On Saturday, I met with some of the survivors and their families, and I was moved, greatly moved, greatly moved by their strength, their resilience, and heartbroken for the families whose loved ones were so cruelly torn from them forever, forever and ever. We cannot imagine the depths of their anguish, but we can pledge the strength of our resolve. And we must do more to protect our children. We have to do more to protect our children. The president might be having a true change of heart after Florida, but this could also just be political posturing. It's possible that Trump's trying to buy time floating these ideas with the expectation that his administration doesn't need to actually follow through once the pressure comes off and the public's attention moves on. The outspokenness of those student survivors makes it politically difficult for him to do nothing. A Washington Post-ABC News survey, which was conducted after the shooting and published Tuesday, found that more than 6 in 10 Americans fault Congress and Trump for not doing enough to prevent mass shootings. A Quinnipiac University poll also published yesterday showed 66% of Americans support stricter gun laws. That's the highest number since 2008, and even higher than after the 2013 massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. So President Trump got the headlines he wanted this morning, which is that he's taking steps to reduce gun violence. Now the question is whether the policies will follow. Trump set the bar high during his remarks when he said this. The key in all of these efforts, as I said in my remarks the day after the shooting, is that we cannot merely take actions that make us feel like we are making a difference. We must actually make a difference. We must move past cliches and tired debates and focus on evidence-based solutions and security measures that actually work. He's absolutely right. What Trump does is far more important than what he says. Take bump stocks, for example. Law enforcement officials say bump stocks were not used in Parkland, Florida. They entered the public consciousness because last October 1st, in Las Vegas, a single shooter was able to kill 58 people and wound hundreds more during a country music festival because he had 14 AR-15s with bump stocks, which allowed him to fire many more rounds and kill many more people. Trump also got the headlines he wanted in the aftermath of that tragedy by announcing that he was open to a ban on bump stocks. He declared nearly five months ago, quote, we'll be looking at that in the next short period of time. The NRA announced then that it was open to the regulation of bump stocks, but opposed to permanent legislative fixes. 
Officials with the group understood that lawyers at the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives have maintained for years that they can't regulate bump stocks unless the law changes. If the ATF had felt it had the unilateral authority to ban these bump stocks, Barack Obama would have done it. The gun lobby knows that manufacturers will be able to cite the previous interpretations of the government's limited statutory authority to gum up any new regulation, perhaps for years in the courts, and possibly even invalidate them. Publicly and privately, Justice Department officials have said the same thing. That's why Democrats have insisted all along that Congress must act, but that's not what Trump called for yesterday. Trump now asserts that the executive branch has the authority it needs already. A public comment period to weigh in on possible bump stock regulations closed last month. More than 100,000 people weighed in. The memo Trump sent to Jeff Sessions yesterday merely directs him to, quote, move as expeditiously as possible to propose for notice and comment a rule that would ban all devices that turn legal weapons into machine guns. Bump stock manufacturers, meanwhile, continue to flood the market with their devices, capitalizing commercially on fear that a ban is imminent. Over the past 13 months, Trump has taken a series of other steps to weaken enforcement of existing gun laws and make the background check system less effective. The administration narrowed a few legal definitions to make it harder to classify would-be gun buyers as ineligible. Trump officials also purged tens of thousands of law enforcement records from the background system. They narrowed the definition of mentally ill, and Trump rolled back an Obama-era regulation that required the Social Security Administration to send records of people receiving benefits for mental illness for inclusion in the background check system. In his budget, released last week, just one day before the Valentine's Day massacre, Trump proposed slashing millions of dollars from the budget for the background check system. So privately, Trump may be telling friends that he's determined to push for some sort of real gun control legislation. But publicly, he still has done nothing to cross the NRA, which spent more than $30 million in 2016 to elect him and stood by him when other Republicans defected. Will that change? We'll see. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, North Korean officials, including Kim Jong-un's younger sister, withdrew from a secret meeting that had been scheduled with Mike Pence when he was visiting the Olympics less than two hours before the session was supposed to begin. The abrupt cancellation came after Pence used his trip to denounce the rogue nation's nuclear ambitions, announce new sanctions against the regime, and further solidify the U.S. alliance with Japan and South Korea. Meanwhile, Kim Jong-un, who's trying to drive a wedge between the U.S. and its allies, has invited South Korean President Moon Jae-in to Pyongyang to begin talks, quote, soon, That development would likely cause consternation here in the Beltway, where the Trump administration has been leading a campaign to put maximum pressure on the regime to give up its nuclear program altogether. Pence's office says the canceled meeting is actually a sign that his mission to combat the North Korean propaganda efforts and maintain a firm message during the Olympics was a success. Number two, the son-in-law of a Russian oligarch pleaded guilty to making false statements to special counsel Bob Mueller's team regarding his communications with Rick Gates. He also made false statements about Gates's work on behalf of former Ukrainian president Viktor Yanukovych. Alex van der Zwan's indictment came just one day after reports that Gates has agreed to flip and testify against his former business partner, Paul Manafort, as part of a plea deal he stuck with Mueller. The evidence van der Zwan provided may have helped Mueller build a strong enough case against Gates to get him to turn. This is another reminder of how methodical and wide-ranging this Mueller investigation is. 
Number three, Syrian warplanes continue to pummel eastern Ghouta with a relentless stream of airstrikes. 200 civilians have now been killed in the last 48 hours as part of a government-led push by the Assad regime to recapture rebel-held territory. Aid agencies say that nearly 400,000 innocent civilians are trapped in the region. The strikes are a reminder that a conflict many thought was winding down still has not run its course. The bloodshed in the past two days marks one of the deadliest chapters in the seven-year war. Reports from the ground are haunting. Gravediggers in eastern Ghouta say they typically have 20 to 50 graves on standby at any given time. But this week, those graves haven't been enough. They've resorted to burying bodies in mass graves. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 21st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. I'll talk to you tomorrow. If you're looking for another podcast to check out, try Edge of Fame from WBUR and The Washington Post. National arts reporter Jeff Edgers paints intimate, surprising audio portraits of actors, musicians, and comedians, from beloved performers you think you already know to up-and-comers bursting onto the scene. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.